You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. You are brand new with us and you're joining us. Maybe you're visiting some family here on Memorial uh, day weekend. Thank you so much for joining us for worship. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say hello and thank you so much for being here. We are in a series together called God's Imperfect Family. And what we have been exploring uh, the past couple of weeks and what we're exploring today is just the reality that family is beautiful, but family is broken as well. Family is this place where there's so much joy and so many memories and and really, the rhythms of our life revolve around so many awesome things about family. But with all the good things and all the, the gifts that family is to us, family is also hard. Family is also challenging. Family is uh, broken. And so we are exploring together uh, how God's grace intersects our family lives. Because that's where we need His grace often the most. Is, is in our families. And the way that we're exploring that is seeing how God's grace moves in his imperfect family. So a couple of weeks ago, we were introduced to this guy named Abraham, uh, who had many sons. And uh, Abraham's uh, sons needed God's grace. Abraham needed grace. And then we saw last week that Isaac, his son, really needed God's grace. And today we are exploring his son, Jacob, and we're just seeing what God does through this very imperfect family that he forms and then moves through. So uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. It is on page 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's a paperback Bible underneath the seat or somewhere around you. There's a Bible there. Just pull that out. Uh, go to page 16. There's a uh, phone number there that you could text questions to, and that will show up on our podcast. If, if anything uh, that I'm preaching today, you know, you have a question about or, or something comes to your mind that you would like discussed at the podcast, just text your questions into that number. So, uh, so while you're turning to uh, that or looking on your device, let me pray one more time here and invite uh, God's help as we, as we look at his word together. Father, uh, we ask and we seek and we knock and we invite your spirit here now to speak to us. We are dependent and we are needy, and we are broken. And we ask that you'd make us whole today as we look closely at you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, who is Jacob? We were introduced to Jacob last week, but I want to catch you up. If you were never here with us, if this is your very first Sunday, uh, I want you to know who Jacob is. Well, you probably heard that name from the Bible, and it basically means one who grasps. When he was born, he was uh, grasping the heel of his brother, and so they named him Jacob. And uh, they said, he's a heel grasper, so let's call him that. Let's call him Jacob. Uh, but it has this negative connotation of somebody who cheats and somebody who deceives, and Jacob lives up to that name very well. He is a cheater and a deceiver. We saw last week that Jacob deceived his brother Esau and deceived him out of his birthright, his inheritance. He took his portion from his older brother who was famished, came in for, from a meal, and Jacob seized the opportunity, took away his birthright. Esau's so angry at Jacob, uh, begins to hate his brother, begins to separate from his brother, 
And uh, we're seeing like just incredible family dysfunction take place uh, through that whole episode. Well, right after that episode, Jacob doesn't stop deceiving his brother. He actually deceives his brother again with the help of his mother, Rebecca. They work together in a very crazy uh, deception of Isaac so that Jacob takes away the blessing from uh, his brother. I mean, they go through just crazy lengths to do this. He like dresses up as his brother, changes his voice a little bit, uh, pretends he's Esau, cooks up a meal. Actually, he doesn't do it. His mom cooks up a meal and, and passes him off as his older brother, takes the blessing away from Esau. And now Esau is 100% separated from his brother Jacob and makes the decision after this episode that I will kill my brother Jacob. I'm going to kill him. He's got my birthright and he's got my blessing, but he's not going to live for very long now. And Jacob's mom, Rebecca, catches wind of the fact that he's going to kill uh, his brother and tells him to flee to her brother, Laban. So I, I know if you're brand new to this, 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 this sounds a little bit like a soap opera. When I was sick as a little kid, I would go to my grandmother's house and uh, she would watch her stories. And, and, uh, and it was right in the middle of a story. And I'm like, who is this person and who is that person? And she would tell me the, the uh, backstory of these characters on the story. And then I would, I would start to understand the drama a little bit. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to catch you up on some of the story of what's been going on with Jacob right up until Genesis 32. Jacob tells, uh, Rebecca tells Jacob, go to my brother Laban because Esau is going to kill you. And here's how she says it. Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Literally, that's in the Bible. He, he comforts himself by planning to kill you. That's how he goes to sleep at night. He comforts himself uh, by plotting your death. Therefore, obey my voice, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you've done to him. She conveniently forgets the fact that she played a part in that, uh, but says, what you've done uh, to him, uh, just go away to my brother Laban, and hopefully he'll forget, and I will send and bring you from there. Stay there until the coast is clear, and I'll let you know, son, until that day when that coast is clear. I'll let you know. So Jacob flees to Laban. This is his only hope, his rescue from his brother, who is this big burly guy. He can hunt wilderness and game. He can for sure hunt and kill Jacob. And on his way to Laban, Jacob has a dream. He's not expecting to have a dream. He's not expecting to encounter God. But he encounters God on his way to Laban as he's running away from Esau. And in this dream, he has this kind of a famous uh, dream where he, ha- he sees a ladder. So maybe you've heard in the culture Jacob's ladder that gets used in different places in the culture. It's basically he has this dream of a ladder from heaven to earth. And this, this picture of this ladder is that God promises, I'm going to come to you, Jacob, and literally says to him, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to defend you. You don't deserve my mercy. You don't deserve my grace. You've been running, but I'm going to run to you, and I'm going to be with you wherever you go. 
And Jacob hears this amazing promise uh, of God to him, and he says these words, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and if he's going to give me bread to eat, and if he's going to give me clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, if he brings me back to this land in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. That's what he says. Then the, the God of my father will be my God. The God of Abraham, my grandfather, is going to be my God if he's going to protect me in this way. But he still heads out to Laban. He's still uh, seeking protection from his brother. But he's got this promise from God. So he arrives at Laban's house. You guys with me so far? Laban's his uncle. He arrives at his uncle's house, Rebecca's brother. And at first we think that Laban's a good guy. Because as soon as he sees Laban, Laban says, you are my bone and flesh. You're, you're with me now, and I'm going to protect you. And he says, what shall your wages be? And Jacob uh, looks upon his daughter Rachel, the, the uh, youngest, and he f- loves her. And he says, I'll work seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And he does. He works hard and works for her. And then on the wedding night, I mean, this couldn't get more like a soap opera. On his wedding night with Rachel, Laban does this switcheroo on Jacob, and it's really dark. And uh, on the night of the wedding, you know, he goes to be with his wife, and he wakes up in the morning, and holy cow, it's not Rachel, it's Leah. It's Leah, the sister. And Jacob, who up until this point is the deceiver, hears these words from Laban. He goes to Laban. He says, why have you deceived me? And Laban says, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Like, burn. Laban waited seven years to get back at his nephew and burn him in this way. And the deceiver was deceived in in, in a big plot that took Laban quite some time to figure out how he's going to do this to his nephew, Jacob. Well, Jacob, not to be outdone, plots his own deception Because he's good at it, okay? He's good at deceiving. He's good at this kind of thing. So he waits, and he bides his time. He comes up with his own plot, and you can read about it before this this chapter. But essentially, he gains a bunch of wealth through through some animals uh, that he deceives from Laban. So he gets very wealthy by deceiving his uncle, and he takes some time to plot this thing out. Well... Laban catches wind of that deception, and right before uh, it's all going to break loose, God goes to Jacob in a real special way, and he says, go back home now. In the craziest moment of your life, go back. It's time for you to go back to Canaan. Now, Jacob has not heard from his mom, Rebecca, about Esau at all. The coast is not clear at all, and Jacob knows this, and yet God tells him to go back home to the promised land. The time is now. So he runs. He flees. That's what he does. He's good at it. And uh, on his way, he's overtaken by Laban, and he just thinks he's going to die. This is the end of this is the end of me. And yet, 
God protects him. And Laban makes peace with Jacob. In fact, let, let them keep all the cattle and all the stuff that he essentially stole from him. And once again, God protects Jacob in the midst of all of his conniving and deceiving and all that stuff. So he heads out again. He's on his way to Canaan. He's on his way to the promised land. But we all know that the biggest obstacle in Jacob's life is in front of him. And that is the encounter with his brother Esau. This is 20 years later. The coast is not clear. And he has got to encounter this brother, this obstacle, before he goes on into the promised land. Okay, so now we're in Genesis 32. Is everybody with me so far? Okay, we're in Genesis 32. And let's look at verse 1. Let's see what happens here. Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, I have donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So the angels are with Jacob. Jacob is aware, God really hasn't left me. I've been this deceiver, I've been this heel grasper, but God's angels are with me. And he's reminded of Genesis 28 where he first has that dream of that ladder and God's promise and he calls that place this is God's house this is Bethel it's what what he calls that place and he creates this pillar because God is with him even though he does not deserve his mercy and how many of us can look back on our lives and see I mean God has been with me even though I haven't deserved his mercy and his grace he has still protected me and helped me and been near to me well he's reminded of that moment where God was with him and he calls this place God's camp similar to how he called uh, that other place, Bethel, God's house. And uh, he's really feeling good about this, so he sends messengers to Esau, lets him know where he's been for 20 years. Note the way that he, he, uh, he, what he calls Esau, my Lord. So he's like, I'm subordinate to you. I, he, he is really humble in this moment. He makes sure to mention, I have lots of gifts Lots of stuff, oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I got a lot of stuff, right? My Lord, Esau. And uh, verse 6, let's see what happens here. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. Oh, good. Fantastic. Wonderful. God is with me. He heard about all the gifts and all that stuff. And he's coming out. All right. Comma. And there are 400 men with him. Oh, snap. Oh, no. Verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, very appropriate fear he is experiencing. 
Lots of anxiety right now. So he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps. This is just brilliant. This is classic Jacob. Let's divide them up into two camps thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So Jacob's plan now is unraveling. It's failing. 400 men are coming out to kill him. And now he is maneuvering. He's not real sure what's going to happen here. But he's going to hedge his bets, put it into two camps. If he's going to attack one, be hostile to the one camp, maybe he can get out with the other camp. Uh, And then in verse 9, we see Jacob do something that we've really not seen up until this point in his life. And he humbles himself in a very significant way. And he says, O God, this is verse 9, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me. The mothers with the children. Do you, do you hear the desperation in that prayer? Deliver me. Have you ever been there? You ever been that honest with God? I fear him. Yeah, he's like, I can't get around this. I can't get around 400 people coming to me to attack me. And I am afraid of the future. I'm afraid of something I cannot control. Verse 12, but you said... I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So now we see Jacob, the heel grasper, is humbling himself before God. He's recognizing that his only protection, his only help is God himself. And when he prays to God, he reminds God of his covenant promises to his grandfather. He locates himself in the covenant promise. And says, this is my only hope. It's God's mercy towards Abraham and it's God's mercy towards Isaac. God, have mercy on me as you have my father and as you have my grandfather. And he, remi- he reminds God of his promise that you, you said, I will do good to you. And he asked God to make good on his promise. You, you feel the anxiety and the desperation as we go into verse 13. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Note this gift. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. It's a lot. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between the drove and the drove. And he instructed the first, when he saw my brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, note he's very exact here. You shall say, 
They belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He's way back there, behind all the droves, all the gifts. He likewise instructed the second and the third, all these people, and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. One after one, one, every single person, every person representing the droves, you guys all say the same thing. Your servant Jacob, way back there, behind all the droves. And he says, moreover, you shall say, uh, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him. With the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. So Jacob, very smart, very shrewd. Thinks a gift to Esau is going to fix it. That will, this will appease my brother uh, I'm going to put the present way out in front. I'm going to put the pre- I'm going to space the present out, space those gifts out, make them in droves, have a leader in front of each drove, and instruct every single one of them to say, "Jacob, Jacob, your brother who you know you've wanted to kill for 20 years, he's just that little guy way back there behind all these droves of gifts." If, if you want to see him, just look past all the stuff that's coming your way. And he's way back there hiding out, you know, behind the gifts. And, uh, and he's hiding, as he always is hiding. Well, verse 22, the same night he arose and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children. And he crossed the ford at the Jabbok and he took them. And he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Jacob, on a very scary dark night, sends everything on ahead. And then verse 24 says, Jacob was left alone. He's all by himself. He's alone in the dark. And I wonder if you can remember a time in your life where you felt really alone and in the dark. And it's sometimes when we are absolutely alone where everything that we have trusted in Everything we have depended upon has been sent across the river and we're all by ourselves. That God shows up. God shows up. The way that Jacob needed God to show up. And in verse 24... As he's alone, it says, quite suddenly, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Just kind of shows up out of nowhere, and they wrestle. 
And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Which is just this painful moment. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Notice Jacob is fully aware this is God in the form of a man, but it's God. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel don't eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. In the middle of the night, in the middle of his aloneness, when he can't reach for his cleverness and he can't reach for his wealth, God wrestles with him and he meets God face to face. And we know it's God because for all of Jacob's prevailing, all this man does is touch his hip socket and he puts it out of joint. So there's this wrestling that God allows Jacob to have all night long. Jacob has wrestled with all kinds of people in his life, all kinds of realities in his life, all kinds of things in his life. But he has not had a moment where he has wrestled with God and God takes this moment of his life when he is most afraid when everything around him seems like it's going to crumble and fall and go away to meet him face to face. And that's what, what Jacob says. I've seen God face to face. And he knows what he needs the most is God's blessing. He's chased after Esau's blessing. And he's chased, chased after Isaac's blessing. He's chased after all the birthrights and everything else in his life. He's stolen from his uncle. He's connived he's done all these kinds of things but what he needs the most is God's blessing and he begs God for it he knows that he needs God and God asks him what is your name makes him say it makes him say it I'm Jacob I'm heel grabber I'm deceiver I'm a cheat and God says, not anymore. And he gives them a new name, Israel, which means he strives with God. He meets with God. And so he takes all the negative stuff about his life and he turns it over into this amazing, redemptive name of Israel. And then everything changes, changes in his life. He goes back to Esau. Esau's not going away. That challenge isn't going away. He goes back to Esau, but he's more aware 
of God's mercy and his redemption in his life. And he, he's so aware of it, God makes him aware of it. He walks back to Esau with a limp. The rest of his day, he is going to walk with a limp. And it's just a, a reminder God places on him to remember that you strove with God and you have a new name and you have a new identity. And anything that you're afraid of in your life, you just need to remember there is some, some reality over you and around you and surrounding you that is much more powerful than anything that you're going to face. And I promise this to you over and over and over again. And let me make it really painfully aware to you that I am with you and I'm going to bless you. And I'm never going to leave you, Jacob. And I said that way back chapters before, but I am with you forever. And it's just a, this amazing reality of God's mercy and his grace. And when we look at this, we, we can look at our lives and ask the question, God, help me to learn from this. What, what is it that you want to show me? And I think we could all see that like Jacob, we have this ingrained sinful reaction to our family and to the dysfunction of our lives and to the mistakes of our lives to run as far away from that as we can and to hedge our bets and to hide and to duck and to avoid people. And that's what Jacob has been doing his whole life. He thinks he can hide from Esau. He thinks he can outrun Laban. He thinks he can appease his brother. And really what Jacob's doing in all of this is he is running from his name. He is running from his reputation. You ever do that in your life? Somebody speaks something over you. Somebody says something about you. Some, somebody in authority, somebody that you respected, somebody that you loved, said something about you and you've tried to outrun that your entire life unsuccessfully. You ever been so unsuccessful at outrunning that that you said, you know what, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to be the best at that horrible thing that I can possibly be. Because I can't outrun it. That's what Jacob does. He can't outrun his past. He can't outrun all the mistakes that he's made. And so he's just, he's been leaning on his cleverness up until this moment in verse 23 where he is left all alone and he sent everything that he had across the river and he's by himself. And it's the mercy of God that at some point in our life, everything that we have is sent across the stream and we're left alone. And Jesus told a story about this. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? There's this story that Jesus told of this son who was trying to run from his past. He took his father's inheritance and he spent it on himself the most shameful way he possibly could on prostitutes and parties. That's what Jesus said. He took his father's inheritance, everything that, he, that was coming to him when his father died, essentially saying, give me what's coming to me and I'm going to sever the relationship with you forever and I'm going to take what you have, not invest it in something good, but I'm going to spend it on myself, on prostitutes and on parties. And it's the mercy of God that as the prodigal is running as far as he can and as fast as he can from his past, that the money runs out. He runs out of money. He runs out of time. He runs out of road like Jacob. He just runs out of space. 
And he's, he's hired himself out. He's now this like indentured servant. Nobody's caring for him. He is cold. He is alone. And he's staring at pig slop. And he's just longing to eat what they have because he's so hungry. He's just famished. And, and in this place, he comes to his senses. And, and he, he says, I, I've got to go back home. I've got to go back to my father. And Jesus said that when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more bread than I have eaten? More than enough. But I perish here for hunger. I'll arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's a shrewd approach. Just hire me out. I'm no longer, I've, I've severed the relationship of ever being your son, ever being called your son, ever being loved like that. So, so just treat me like a slave. Treat me like one of your hired servants. At least I could, I could eat. At least I could hear what I once had. At least I could be close to what I once knew. And he arose, Jesus said, and he came to his father but that's a long walk back and I don't know if you've ever in your life felt that far from God where you have started that journey back and you are going how in the world will he receive me I don't know if you've ever experienced that at a horizontal level with somebody in your family where you needed to make it right and that was a long walk back and you're just thinking how in the world how in the world is this person ever going to take me back? How is my father going to respond to me? And we're filled with these doubts, filled with his anxieties, filled with this fear. And we can relate to that. We can very much relate to Jacob, and we can relate to the prodigal son. And like Jacob, we doubt God's promises of his grace towards us. God promised Jacob that he was going to be with him. But way back in Genesis 28, Jacob hears the promises of God and turns it into this transactional relationship. I read it earlier, but did you hear the transaction? If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread and clothing and help me come back to my father's house in peace, then God will be my God. So hear the transaction. Hear the conditions. He's relating to God in a conditional way. And, you, and I can do this very same thing. Where did he learn that? He learned that at home. He learned that from his own father. It was conditional. It was transactional. If I provide this to my father, then I'll get love. If I do this, then I get close. If I don't do this, I don't get that. And so he's relating to God in Genesis 28, very transactional, very conditional. And you and I are born with that kind of transactional pull in us towards God and towards others. It's just it's sort of, we think that's grace, but it's not. It's transactional. It's conditional. God sends angels and Sends uh, this promise of deliverance. What does Jacob do? He divides up the camp. 
That's what we do. We're like dividing up. God's like, I've got angels in front of you. Just look around. I'm never going to leave you. And we're like busy dividing things up. Jacob asks for deliverance from God. And yet Jacob is seeking his blessing from Esau. Note the transactional language. That I may appease him. I'm going to appease him with a present that goes ahead of me. And afterward I shall see his face. Don't, don't we tend to relate to God this way? I've blown it. I've failed. I've messed up again. I've made that mistake. I'm going to send a present. Here it is, God. I'm way behind the droves. Let me push the, the gift way out in front. I promise I'll never do it again. I promise I won't make that mistake. I will never fail you again, God. I'm way back here behind all these promises. Little old me, way back here, all my promises right up there. You note the promises, God? Do you note, note my vows before you? I'm this little guy way back here. I promise I will never fail you again. And we do that. We try to appease. We make promises to God and we don't believe the promises of God. And that's the opposite of grace. Grace is where we believe God's promises, not when we're making promises to God. And literally, that's what the prodigal son does. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I promise you, I'll be good. I'll be good. And he arose and he came to his father. But the prodigal son, Jesus said, was shocked when it says that while he was a long way off, his father saw him. It's this picture of the father looking way out, just anticipating the day that his prodigal son is going to return. And he's just staring out. I mean, he, he wouldn't be able to see him a long way off if he wasn't looking for him and waiting for him and longing for him and seeking for him. And his eyes of love and grace and mercy staring out, just waiting for the day that he sees his son. When the father saw him, he felt compassion. And Jesus says he ran. He didn't hold back. He didn't wait to give an explanation. He didn't wait to give a, I told you so. The father ran. That was the most undignified thing in that day for a father to do is to kind of pick up your garments and run in this undignified way to your son. But that's what Jesus says. This is the father. The father runs to us and he embraces us and he kisses us. He showers his love and he showers his affection on us. And before the prodigal son can make another promise or to say anything about what he's going to do, the father says, you are mine and I'm embracing you and I have compassion for you. And he's kissing him and he says, we're going to have a party. We're going to throw a party right now. We're not going to wait till a week from now. Party is happening right now because my son who was lost is found. He's come back home to me. He's come back home to my heart. He's come back home to my love. And in 1 John, this is the message. This is the good news of the gospel. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That whole, that whole book is uh, summarized at the very end. I share it because it just reminds me of how, how much I can know biblical ideas and thoughts and even truths, but disconnect it from the love of God. Verse John 4, so we have come to know and to believe the love 
that God has for us. That's what John wanted all, all of this readers to understand that this is the message of the prodigal son, it's the message of Jacob, it's the message of the whole Bible, that we would come to know and believe the love that God has for us. When we see the cross, we would know it, and we would believe it, and we would receive it, and we would stop making these transactions based on doubt, doubting God's love and his mercy and his promises. And lastly, because of his mercy, because of his love, like Jacob, we have a brand new future. We have a new future. Remember, God asks Jacob, what is your name? And he says it out loud, Jacob. And he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, Israel, that, that name shows up over and over again in the Bible because it's, it's the tribes. It's God's people. God is going to take this broken vessel and he is going to do the most redemptive thing possible. He's going to take the most unlikely person to ever be the father of a nation of people and the nation through which the Messiah comes through to, to call Israel. And say, these are my people. God connecting himself to a people through a broken vessel, through a broken man. And don't miss that. Jesus comes through this family. And Jesus himself will ultimately be the one who strives with God and with men and prevails for us. So that we would no longer be just Jacob. We are no longer just Sinners. We are no longer just heel grabbers. We're no longer just deceivers and cheats. We're not that anymore. Why? Because Jesus wrestled with God in a perfect way. He said, let this cup pass from me, but if it can't pass, if they can't be Israel unless I go to the cross, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And on the cross, between heaven and earth, Jesus hung naked and said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he experiences the ultimate wrestling match with God so that you and I can have a brand new story placed over us, a brand new name. We are no longer Jacob anymore. We are now Israel. We know this because the Bible says Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And this, this has got to come home to us. This has got to be something that we know about ourselves. We're no longer only or just sinners. We are sinners and we are saints in Christ. First Corinthians says it this way, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, Jacob's don't inherit the kingdom of God, and that's what we are. That, we're in all of that, that description of what he said. And then he says this, and such were some of you. Were. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we were this. We were just Jacob, but we are no longer just Jacob. We are Israel now. And if anyone is in Christ, 
he is a new creation. You are a new creation, and the old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Let's, let's stand and, and pray, and let's thank God that the new has come. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.